Um, but I want to talk about some things because uh, they, they have to do, I think, really well with us today. So rocks and stones, they're not just rocks and stones. They have something for us 2,000 years later. When we look at the Bible or even in our own world today, I think there's relevant things for us to reflect upon. And so all the scriptures that I read today, I hope are more, there's, there is a few um, that are more reflective oriented that I would hope you would read later on or use in your own way so that you can reflect on maybe God, his character, his, his nature, or if you hike a rock you know, throw a stone, <laughs> whatever you do, you're thinking about God in some way. That would be kind of nice. Rocks are everywhere in Israel. They are absolutely everywhere. Um, even when you look at a picture like the desert, not this, that's not it, that's more Oregon, but that is the Judean desert. This is where Jesus would have gone into the wilderness, just a small little portion of it. Again, I don't do justice to it. It almost looks like in one minute sand and just stuff, you know, nothing alive really. In the spring, it's going to come alive a little bit. You know, you'll see the Bedouins come back and they'll let their animals kind of feast there. But right now, there's nothing there. You know, we had just stopped so that I could let some people ride a camel, Mr. Shushi. He's been there for probably 20 years or so, and they rode camels. I'll probably show a picture of Corey down the road because it's quite embarrassing. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, it's, the, it's the desert. But even in the desert, you can tell it's just filled with rocks, loose stones. Even today on the news, we see stones used in a negative way, right? Where in Israel, especially the Middle East, stones are used often by young boys. You'll see them to throw. They're an act maybe of terrorism or just in a fight against the enemy, what they perceive to be the enemy. Even today, right, we can look and reflect 2,000 years later on that. People use rocks and stones today still as a, as a, uh, a weapon, as a tool of more destruction, um, they'll grab it and throw it. Maybe you've been uh, next to a neighbor that's thrown rocks at you at some point. I was on the Temple Mount. I've taken some people there. Rocks thrown at us. Not rocks to just scare us away, rocks to hurt us. It's probably one of the only times that I took people to the Middle East in Israel and was actually, I was actually scared. And my fear usually drives me towards them, so I chase these people back towards Israeli police but uh, I don't know that that was the smartest idea, but I do not claim to be the smartest young man, uh, you know, on these trips. Rocks are everywhere. Everywhere you go, there are stones. Everywhere I take you, there are remnants of a city, of a place that is either crumbled down but still stands thousands of years later made out of stone. Even today in Jerusalem, they're required to build out of stone, limestone everywhere. Things built underground, stones stacked up as memorials. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Rocks everywhere. You trip on rocks, fall down on stone, walk on things that have a history, especially biblically, that just is unfathomable. It's just amazing to me. You, and you'll see a picture in a little bit, will we'll be taken to the place where David killed Goliath with stones. Even, even a stone was used to try to keep Jesus in the grave. So we take you, this is a shot of the garden tomb. It's again, not the greatest, but it's one site where they say is quite possibly, and they make a great case for it, 
It is so beautiful. We take communion there and reflect on a resurrected king, a savior who died for our sins. You don't see, like I'll take you to a place where you'll see on the side of a road a rolling, a a round stone at, at a tomb. You don't see it anymore here, but a giant rock, it was, you know, they tried to use it to keep Jesus in the grave. But we know the story. That didn't work. Our team even checked it out. They went inside and they discovered there's Corey right there in the front. There's one of her shots. The tomb is still empty. They could not stop Jesus. Jesus even worked with stones. So when we read about him as a carpenter, one of the things to think about is you'll notice in, in the, the, the land of Israel and this holy land, there's not a lot of wood. There's a lot of wood, I, I should say, but there's not a lot of building in wood. Like you go here, I'm remodeling stuff in my house. My wife's doing a ton of work there. I just try to keep up with her. But our, our place, you know, it's this 1972 little house. It's made out of wood. There, it's stone. So even reading about Jesus as a carpenter, the word would have been tecton in the original language. It meant someone who, yes, could work with wood, but their main, their main you know, form of construction was stone, rock. And it helps me even just think that this Bible is filled from beginning to end with images of rocks and stones, one of the things we did while we were there, I love being on an adventure. So I don't know if it's like my issues with wanting to be in control. I don't want somebody to tell me what to do. I do not like it when you tell me I got to go somewhere. And I don't like it if a sign says we can't go there. It usually means I might try to go down that path. So uh, it's just if you go on a trip with me, just expect that. So I love when I meet some of my friends. We stayed in Nazareth at Michael and Lisa Moore's. We'll talk about them weeks from now with some new adventures that God is taking us on as a community of believers, especially in our giving and support. But uh, we stayed in Nazareth, and Lisa asked me one night, hey, Ron, have you ever been to Hippos? Hippos is one of the cities of the Decapolis, spoken of in the New Testament. If Jesus spent most of his time on this side of the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum, you know, Beatitudes is there, all these places that you hear about, this is on the other side. And she said, what you do if you want to go here, the sun, so even, even this is so awesome, the sunset from Hippos is amazing. Well, let's go see this place. She goes, you've never been there? I go, no, I've never been there. We got a car. I got some friends that'll go with me. Let's go. She says, well, when you go down the highway, there's going to be two big giant signs, and they're going to say in Hebrew, they're going to say, danger, do not drive on this road. Go down that road anyways. (laughs) So that's what we did. And we drove up this place. Now, this picture will not do justice to it by any means. But just to show you, on the top of the Golan Heights, on a big giant hill, is a Roman city called Hippos that they built up there. You walk, it was partially dug a little bit. Some, you know, university probably got some money. They started, they can't finish yet. And up there, there's columns. There's like marble carvings. There's pottery. These people collected so much pottery and stuff. There's just stuff just laying out there, thousands of years old. 
just laying out there, way up on the Golan Heights. And we parked the car, walked up, hiked up there, and there is just nothing up there except us. And you overlook the Sea of Galilee, and you watch the sunset there. Pile of rocks on another giant rock. And you're just amazed. Stones and rocks are everywhere. Just a part of the landscape. I don't know that it's much different for us either. Ultimately, ultimately, you know, Jerusalem, this is a panoramic view of it, so I don't know that I did this justice at all, but I'm giving you live shots. I didn't want to just yank something off the internet. This is stuff I actually took. We're on the Mount of Olives. You're looking, yeah, I know you can't see this for a while, but you're looking, you can see the Golden Dome a little bit. You're looking at the Temple Mount. You're looking from my angle here in the back, the city of David. You're looking at massive amounts of tombs. You're looking at the gate on the Temple Mount where Jesus is going to return one day, the Eastern Gate. You're looking at other gates. You're looking at places, the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus, you know, wept. And we went to all these places. We take you there. And ultimately, here's what I want to tell you. Jerusalem is a big, giant pile of rocks really built on one gigantic rock called Mount Zion. It's a giant, really, rock. And this comes um, up in just a little bit with some principles about stones and rocks that I want to share with you. This has been standing for thousands of years. Thousands of years. When I look at our history, I know the land's been here much longer than 200 plus, but our history in the United States of America is 200 plus years, right? But we're talking, and some of our stuff doesn't last. We're talking thousands of years. And some of these things, though the tops of them have fallen down, the foundations are unmovable. And it tells us something about God because we see stones and rocks everywhere. Look at what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6. He says these words in Luke 6 about building on a foundation. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. So he's really talking about the depth of our calling and commitment to God, which should be like a solid, firm foundation. But now he's talking about those that have just made some kind of verbal commitment, and it really doesn't mean anything. He says, this is what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, then follows it. It's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, is anybody going through any type of floodwaters right now? Desert, storm crashing against you. Things have fallen apart. The top has toppled. He said, listen, this is like digging deep, laying this on a solid rock, this foundation. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. Jesus speaks of this solid, firm foundation. But anyone who hears 
and doesn't obey is like a person who built a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, what does it say about it? It will collapse in ruins. Wow, he gives a very visual picture to something that people would have seen in that day and still holds true for us today. It matters what we stand upon, what we build our house upon. It matters what we build our life upon. There is, I showed you in that uh, panoramic view, the Temple Mount, this place is well known because it's always seemingly in the news. The fight over it, the struggle with it, the claim to it. It's a centerpiece of all Jerusalem. I mean, on it is a big golden dome called the Dome of the what? Rock. It's built over a giant rock. Now, there's a lot to the Temple Mount that we are not going to go into today, but it is foundation to all, really, of Israel. Maybe you could say, in some ways, the whole Middle East, and many would claim the whole world. It is the centerpiece. When we go to Israel, and we did it this trip, we go on a tour underground. It's pretty cool. I love going underground and seeing things that are underground. And we go to the Western Wall. You see above ground the Western Wall called the Wailing Wall where Jews go and pray. It's the closest they can get to where they hope to be on the Temple Mount. So they go and pray. They stick little papers in there. I've prayed there before about the peace of Jerusalem for salvation of friends, family, and 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 many of you and prayed for needs. I use it as a place, not because I think that's like the spot that I need to be, but just as a point of prayer. Um, it's a really amazing place. But underground, because those stones are built and piled upon one another, but they're not as old as the ones underground, original stones. And this is a picture of us underground. Pastor Dave Gomez is on one side of the stone, and way down there at the end, there's a man in a blue shirt at the other end of what they claim to be the foundation stone. 2,000 years ago, Jesus would have walked on those rocks right next to that very thing. Maybe it's the place where he even claimed, I'm not saying it is, that in this parable that we just read and other places when he talks about solid foundations, standing upon the rock, these elements, maybe he thought of this very thing. It gave them a very big visual because they would have seen it all the time. This foundation stone it's almost 45 feet long. They think maybe like 11 to 15 feet wide. It's almost 10 feet high. It weighs approximately 570 tons. They did not have modern machinery back then. <laughs> it's a foundation stone. One of the things that I'd love for you to think about today is what have you placed your life upon? Where have you put all your faith and trust? Does money really, if it's, if it's cash, 
is it going to last that long? Even relationships. Some of you were here today and maybe your relationship is broken. You thought you placed your life on a sure thing. And suddenly you realized that it wasn't so sure after all. You thought by signing that piece of paper, it was sure and solid. And basically, maybe not physically, it just got ripped up and it means nothing anymore. Maybe that item you bought, like it's got a lifetime warranty. I just bought something and they pointed out to me, you know why you're going to pay more for this, Ron? See those, this is what the guy told me at low. You see that? Yeah. What does it say? It says lifetime warranty. What does that mean? It's never going to break, right? <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> They're telling me, though, it's going to break. In your lifetime, Ron, we'll fix it for you for a fee. Or maybe shipping costs. <laughs> Even anything anymore that we buy, you, you know, like our printers are breaking down in there because we're just cheap, man. Just go, this is my mentality. This is supposed to last a long time. You know what? It's cheaper just to buy it and we'll just throw it away when we're done and buy a new one. They don't last anymore. Money and papers and commitments what have you laid your life upon? Jesus gives us a picture of a sure foundation. Everywhere there's rocks, everywhere there's stones. In a trip to Israel, you may get sick and tired of this journey that shows you more piles of rocks. But it reminds us something of God. Let me read some Psalms to you before I give you a few thoughts to take home and to consider even more. I love the Psalms. Anytime we're broken or hurt or wounded, go to the Psalms. Anytime you're in a desert, go to the Psalms. Anytime you want to rejoice, go right to the Psalms. These people, these writers, especially David, they seem to know right what we're going through. Ups and downs, struggles and hurts. Teach the Psalms to your kids. Read the Psalms to them at night. Whatever you need to do, get it in your brain and noggin. But here's a few. Psalm 18.2. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my Savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. That alone right there, fabulous. Memorize that one verse, awesome. And then he goes on in verse 46. The Lord lives, praise to my what? Rock. May the God of my salvation be exalted. We go on to read more from Psalms. 1914, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. Why? Oh, Lord, you are my rock and my redeemer. Over and over again, we see this. Psalm 27, for he will conceal me there when troubles come. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me, I like this, out of reach on a high rock. Sometimes I need that. Like God come down, man, those enemy, that, 
that nastiness, it's going to get me. That messiness, get me above it. Give me new perspective, whatever that needs to be for all of us. Psalm 71, oh Lord, I've come to you for protection. Don't let me be disgraced. Save me. Rescue me. For you do what is right. Please turn your ear to listen to me and set me free. Be my rock of safety where I can always hide. Give the order to save me for you are my rock and my fortress. And Zoe read earlier Psalm 57. We read it in and Getty when we were there. It holds up today. These scriptures have not changed for thousands of years and they still hold up. Every time you see a rock, you see a stone. Be reminded of these things. And in that Psalm, David is surrounded by wild animals. He's been abandoned by friends. He's chased by the king. No one wants him alive. He has a band of just warriors, but they're misfit. Some of them, you know, no good dirty, messy people. They're all hiding together. And in the midst of this oasis, he cries out, God, place me in the shadow of your wings under this rock in that cave. Help me, God. Hide me, for you see the pit I'm in, this moment where everyone wants to destroy me. And it probably is something that you feel now, will, or have. May these psalms become real to you. I don't think it changes even here in the valley. We have, I have just reflected on three. I look out almost daily in some form on a drive to work here at the church, going to a store, seeing some friends, wherever I'm going. And we have Mount McLaughlin sitting out there you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but that thing hasn't moved since I've lived in the valley. <laughs> now, some of you may have some weird story. I don't want to hear it, but <laughs> many of you have climbed that thing. It's a giant rock. Some of you have been to Crater Lake one of the most beautiful places on the earth, and it's rock. It's still there. I even reflect it's, you know, really a cool little thing. Some of you have climbed it, but we have this place called Pilot Rock. And I'm reminded that even that, it's not moved, has it? People used it to guide them through the valley in their travels through Oregon and coming from California. Rocks remind us not only 2,000 years ago, but even today in our own valley right here of biblical principles. The God is solid and sure, a strong foundation. And I love the pilot rock element that that sure foundation is the one who needs to guide me What's guiding you? What are you looking to for guidance in your life? 
Some of us look to good things, and there's healthy things out there to gain perspective from, to learn tools to help us to navigate through life. But ultimately, many of them can fall apart. Some of them are only good ideas. But there is one thing that has stood the test of time, and it's not even a thing. It's a living, active, breathing God that we serve that guides us better than any rock. So even today, we have that. Where do you need that rock to guide you? What are you placing your life upon? What is directing you through this journey, especially when you're in a time that's considered a wilderness? I find often, myself included, I'm tempted to, the toughest time for me to stay focused on the sure foundation and go to that rock that shall guide me is when I am broken or hurt or going through a wilderness time. It's when I seem to grasp out, grasp out for other things. Anybody kind of track with that a little bit? I'm tempted that way. Suddenly, he has proven himself faithful and true when things are good. But when the hard times come, suddenly I'm like, well, he worked great there. But this is a little different. It should be the time that, as David wrote, and many have learned over the years through their experiences, it should be the time that we even dig deeper in to gain a foothold on that sure foundation. I love reading from the message often, and Psalm 62 is another one of those that reflect upon the rock. This is from the message. God, the one and only, I'll wait as long as he says, Everything I need comes from him, so why not? He's solid rock under my feet, breathing room for my soul, an impregnable castle. I'm set for life. How long will you gang up on me? How long will you run with the bullies? There's nothing to you, any of you, rotten floorboards, worm-eaten rafters, Ant hills plotting to bring down mountains, far gone in make-believe. You talk a good line, but every blessing breathes a curse. God, the one and only, I'll wait as long as he says, everything I hope for comes from him, so why not? He's solid rock under my feet, breathing room for my soul, an impregnable castle. I'm set for life. My help and glory are in God. Granite strength safe harbor God. So trust him absolutely, people. Lay your lives on the line for him. God is a safe place to be. One of the things that rocks teach us and tell us that I've already expressed, number one, if you want to write it down or think about it further during the week, is rocks declare that God is unchanging. I don't care if it's the massive amount of rock and stone in the land of Israel or looking out at Mount McLaughlin or Pilot Rock or Crater Lake or whatever it is that you see. These rocks and stones declare that we serve an unchanging God, unmovable. I think that's so important for us to be reminded of. Flash floods may sweep away homes. Wars may desolate entire cities. But the rock, the bedrock of the mountain will never be changed. God is stable. He's unchanging. 
our God is constant and strong. When we go to the Holy Land, I want you to look at and examine rocks that have remained for centuries. Historic sites, vistas, ancient churches carved some of them in bedrock. That foundation stone. And I want you to look even here today and see that we serve a God who is unchanging. And he's been that way for centuries. The second thing that rocks and stones declare throughout God's word and even for us today that we see around us is rocks declare that God is a refuge. So we need to go, as David said, somewhere that provides a place of safety, a refuge. I like that because we need places at times because we're in the midst of the battle, midst of the, the, the flood waters, midst of whatever, where it's a safe place to be. Often we're in places that aren't safe with people that aren't safe. Psalm 31.2 says, again, many of the Psalms, just beautiful, read some of them later on. Turn your ear to, to listen to me, God. Rescue me quickly. Be my rock of protection, a fortress where I will be safe. I need that. A fortress where I will be safe. God can be a place of hiding, a strong place of refuge, a shelter when things go terribly wrong in the wilderness. And throughout the Bible, we see that people experienced that. Moses and the people of Israel, when they left Egypt and were rescued, they went right into the wilderness. But they found constantly, even though they went through trials and something that should have just taken days ended up being 40 years, they came to places, rocks and stones and caves and rocks that would give water on and on that would provide blessing, refreshment, and even more refuge for them to be in safe quarters, safe places with safe people because they followed a stable, secure God. So rocks everywhere for us today become a symbol of God. A place where we can proclaim his name, his greatness, because he's our rock. Moses and the people would declare that often. Even it's interesting, you know, we hiked in about 110 degree weather it was horrible. You can ask the team. I think I tried to convince them to not do something that they all wanted to do. Hike Masada, you know, go up on Masada, if you know this place that Herod built out by the Dead Sea, up on this just giant rock. He built the city, kind of like that hippo swim that I showed you. And I think I was just trying to, like, convince them, it's hot up there, you guys. Oh, there's not a lot of water I think I might even use the language like I'm using today. It's just a big pile of rocks on a giant rock. <laughs> We've seen this countless times, okay? I'll drive you to the bottom. We'll look from our air-conditioned car. We'll go home. We'll, maybe we'll hit the gift shop. It's, you don't want to, do we want to go up there? Yes. Oh, man. 
I should have pulled out the God card, huh? And said, well, God said it's not for you this trip, you know? Sometimes I forget, too, if I just wouldn't have even told them that it existed, they would have never known. I, you know, until one of you that's been before would go, did you go to Masada? No, what's Masada? Oh, it's the best place in all of Israel. And then I would have been in trouble, you know? But you see this place that Herod built because he was a very creative, smart man, but also a little crazy. So he'd build these places of refuge and hiding around the land of Israel to go. And he built one in Masada, a place where it's blazing hot most of the time. And the big, giant, beautiful sea or lake that you see down there, you can't even drink it or really swim in it because it's just dangerous. Nothing lives in it. It's, you float in it. It's... You know, I guess he would have had nice skin because the mud he would have put on, but that's about all he would have gained from that. And you see this place of refuge. Well, the story of Masada is probably the biggest story. It's not biblical history, but in history, a bunch of zealots fled there and, and uh, you know, hid out there until the Romans came and tried to figure out how they could get up there and kill all these people. It's an amazing story. So this place that was supposed to be, you know, impregnable. You can't get to it. We're safe up here. No one can get us. The Romans just built a gigantic ramp out of rock and stone and hiked up it and burned the gate down and went in and, you know, found them all dead. It was just, it's an amazing story. Sometimes we have these places that we have built that we think are safe and solid we discover that when the enemy attacks or the hard things happen, they weren't so safe after all. Rocks and stones teach us in the Bible and for us today that God is a refuge. He's a refuge for you. Please go to him. It explains why David would even find this place. We read about it in Psalm 57. It's from 1 Samuel 22, 23, those chapters where he runs to a place of refuge. And even in that, he knew that he could hide there, but ultimately it would not completely protect him. He needed God. So you ever notice that about the Psalms? He's reflecting on a place but more than that, he knows that that place is only temporary. He's reflecting most, we could say, on a person. God. God, you are the one that is a refuge. And Getty's beautiful. There are pools of blessing. You can swim here. It's just gorgeous. But ultimately, God, you are my refuge and my protection. And in Getty is like that. Here's just a small glimpse of that. You hike up. It's 100. It's, we're hiking up. It's 110. filled with rocks, but in that, it's all green and water. I don't even give you pictures of the waterfalls, but it's just amazing. Swam there, sang there, hiked there. It's awesome. Do you need a place of refuge today? We want to be a help with that, but journey is, I want to be a place of refuge. I really do. I want you to feel safe here. That any wilderness you're going through, any struggle you're having, 
you've come to a safe place. Here's one of the problems with that. We're all people and we're not all safe. Sometimes you come and someone didn't greet you right. Someone said something stupid to you. They do it to me once in a while and I do it to you once in a while. And I want this to be a place when you walk in, you feel not just like, wow, this is a nice building and there's an amazing story behind it on why we're here and how we got here. There's some amazing things that God is doing and we're a growing little group and the kids' ministry is awesome, all this. But ultimately, you know, we got great people, you know, some wonderful things going on. But ultimately, our true refuge is only going to be found in God. And if I place my foundation on God, then I have a better chance of becoming a safe place for you as well. God ultimately is our place of refuge. Psalm 18, 1 through 3 from the message. I love you, God. You make me strong. God is bedrock under my feet, the castle in which I live, my resourcing night. My God, the high crag where I run for, clear, for dear life, hiding behind the boulders, safe in the granite hideout, I sing to you, God, the praise lofty and find myself safe and saved. Rocks, stones show us that God is unchanging, that he's a refuge. And the last thing to share with you is rocks declare the story of God. Everywhere you go in Israel, it's weird. You will drive out in the middle of nowhere and there is some memorial, some piece of steel, some weird looking pile of rocks. And it's always to remember something that happened there, a battle, an event that took place. Biblically and all the way up into modern times, everywhere, piles of stones, interesting structures, and they serve as markers, reminders, memorials to some event or experience. Again, biblically or into the modern era. Many are reminders of the stories of God, who he is, what he's done, and what he still does today. I have never been with a team of people, there was four of them, five counting me, that have collected so many rocks. Just to throw Pastor Dave Gomez under the bus a little bit, I don't know how he made it back without getting charged a lot of money to bring rocks back from Israel. Everywhere that boy went, he grabbed rocks. But again, all of them did. I didn't bring home one rock, but I've been them before. <laughs> they gathered stuff to remind them of all the places they'd been. And what happened in that place? I took them to where, you know, this is the actual place where David and Goliath happened. And here's a picture of them holding the actual stones that David used to kill Goliath. <laughs> it's the creek bed. There's a story behind that cliff. We sat up. I took them first to where the Philistines would have been in camp, their army behind them. 
and then we drive down and we go into the Elah Valley here and go into the creek bed, let you collect some rocks and think about that whole battle with David and Goliath. It's an amazing story in its own right. I think actually Dave, Pastor Dave is talking about it today. And I, re- I reflect with them so many things about rocks and stones, even that cliff. It's important that the battle took place there because both armies wanted control of that cliff area because of the iron ore there and the lack of, of uh, metal. So there's a whole story behind that as well. There's reasons behind all of this. In the story of Joshua, do you remember Moses had died? Joshua and the people of Israel are going into the promised land for the first time. God parts the waters of the Jordan River. They walk through in dry land, and after they get through, the waters come back again. But before the waters come back and cover that riverbed, Joshua and the priest tell the people, or however it all played out, the priest Go gather 12 stones. We're going to build a memorial. We're going to pile them up. Why? Because we don't want to forget what happened here. Stones and rocks hold for us, even today, memorials, signatures, signposts, markers for who God is, what he's done, and what he still does today. We're no different today. How many of you have gone somewhere and saved something, brought something back, so you remember the place where you were at? If it's not a rock, it's something else. It's the coffee mug that your wife tells you to stop bringing home. And when you leave two weeks to Israel, she's probably throwing in the trash anyways. And I've got a whole story behind that that I won't go into now because I brought two coffee mugs home, but don't tell her she's not here today. Don't tell her because... uh, If she listens to this, maybe she'll know, I guess, but they're at the church here. They're for the church. (laughs) These markers and reminders give us these things, little thoughts here, and we'll pray. These collections of rocks and stones and whatever it is, they hold timeless spiritual lessons for us. Why? Why? Because they remind us of God. We said that. Stones and rocks, when we look throughout the Bible, and even today, remind us of God's faithfulness in the past. They give us perspective to who God is and where God is working in the present. And they're rehearsals to what God is going to do in the future. In just a little bit, well, a few moments, we're going to take communion. Think about it. They're not rocks and stones. The cup of juice that reminds us of Jesus' blood, the bread that is broken that reminds us of his broken body for us, they're not rocks and stones. Or are they? Solid, sure foundations that we stand upon and at journey we take every week because it's something secure and solid for us, and we are reminded of what God did in the past. When we take communion, we look to where God is working, where he is at, and gives it, gives the, this communion gives us perspective for the present. I take communion, and I think about myself and sin in the past, in the present, 
And then it's each week a rehearsal for what God is going to do in the future. He even tells us in the story where communion is taken, I will not do this again at that last supper time. We go to the room. We pray there, sing there. And we remember that Jesus said, here's my body, here's my blood, remember these things. And he says, I won't do this again with you, he tells his community of people right there, until I return one day. Communion even has a rehearsal aspect for his return. Maybe you need to start saving rocks. You know what? Right now, some of you are in the midst of something that is maybe destroying you. It's a weird thing to say. I don't know what it totally means, and I don't want to keep yapping away, you know, but maybe you need to save something from this period of time. A piece of something, a reminder. Even though you don't see it now, if you place your life on the sure thing, the rock, the foundation stone, I truly believe that you are going to look back one day and you are going to want to remember what God did, what he still does, and what he's still going to do. And you don't want to forget that. I don't know what that looks like for you. Is it a scripture that you declare that you look at the past, what he said, what he's doing right now today, and what you need him to do? Maybe it's one of the Psalms we read. Maybe you need to save a rock. There is a story don't pull the scripture up, Anna. I'll just share on it real quick just to wrap up today. The team can come. We're going to take communion together. Thanks for listening to me, you know, for an extended period of time. But we take you to Caesarea Philippi, this, this amazing place. Um, there's a picture of it, but it's, it's not going to do it justice because there's a lot of context to it. But just to jump to the big question, it's the place where Jesus takes his guys on it's not, for us, it was a two-hour drive to take, the, to take you there. For them, it would have been days, many conversations, lots of in-depth heart stuff, him confronting them in many ways. And in Caesarea Philippi area, there's a place where the god Pan was happening, these coves built into solid bedrock and a giant cave where they used to throw you know, people into the sacrifice. And if they died, you know, something wouldn't happen, and if they lived, or blood, there's all this craziness there. So rocks were used for something completely different. But Jesus takes the guys up in that area, and he asks them a question, and he says, so some of you know the story. If you don't, read it later on from Matthew 16. But he asks the guys, he says, who do people say that I am? And uh, the guys answer back and say, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, and they're throwing out all these people. Some say you're this, some say you're that, some say you're someone from the past, some say you're the Messiah for right now, some say you're the one that was promised to come, you know? And then Jesus, after getting all that information, many of you know the story, he asked the question to them in a different way, and it's the best question. I love how he does this, and it's the question for us today, because it's the question that will answer 
answer, you know, or give you an answer if you're on the sure, solid foundation. And that is this. Well, that's cool who, who others say I am, but what does he say? Who do you say that I am? And this is key because it tells you and I, if we go back to that parable, where you've placed your life. So reality is saying, what foundation or who have you placed your life upon? And Peter answers, oh great, Peter, who one minute will give the right answer right now and the next minute, well, Jesus will say, get behind me, Satan. I love it because many of us are like Peter, like that. And Peter declares, you are Christ. You are son of the living God. And ultimately, Peter is saying, my foundation is built upon you. Jesus gets on his case a little bit later because he turns around and tries to do something completely different that takes him off of that. But in this case, he starts off, and Jesus declares in that, he says, ah, you know what? I'm just paraphrasing now, but it's on that rock, that declaration that I will build my church. There it is again, a rock and a stone. When you take communion today, wherever you're at in life, joy right now or complete brokenness, hey, listen, it matters who you follow. It matters where you've placed your life. So the question 2,000 years ago at a giant pile of rocks is the same question that Jesus asks every one of us today. That's great what everyone else does. That's great what they've placed their life upon, but that doesn't matter to me as much as you. You matter to me. And so, who do you place your life on? Who do you say that I am? In this memorial thing that we'll do right now, this stone that we will grab, memorial stone in communion, rehearsal for the future, a remembrance of the past, but in the present right now, it really is. In addition to saying, Jesus, thank you for forgiving me of my sin and the new life that you've given. It's a declaration that you've risen from the grave, that the, the tomb is empty. But it's also a declaration, if you want to make it, that, and that is a declaration to say that this, that Jesus is your foundation, your solid rock. For many of you, you've, you have uh, tried other things. You're trying other things. It's not working too well. I can't imagine it is, even if it feels like it at the moment. There's only one sure thing to me, and it's Jesus. But you've got to figure out that for yourself. And I would challenge you today, place your life upon him. If you've never done that before, I'd love to know that. Pray with you. Begin this journey with you. And if it's just a declaration you need to make of that today, communion is a great time. So stand with me, will you? Father, we run to you, the one who is our rock, unchanging, our refuge. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us that we remember now, your faithfulness to us in the past, with us in the present, and we rehearse together for what you're going to do in the future. 
And for all of us today, you ask us, who do you say that I am? We reflect upon that now as we take communion together, spend a moment with you, and then sing. And we love you. Thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.